Welcome to the Econ Dev Show. We explore the strategies, ideas, and insights that are driving economic development forward into the future. future. You'll hear new insights from passionate EDs about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from attraction and retention experts about how to apply actionable strategies inside your EDO. We'll help take your organization, your community, and your career to the next level. Here's your host, Dane Carlson. Welcome back to the Econ Dev Show. Today we're here with Greg Lowe. Greg is the Director of Economic Development for the City of Lewisburg in Tennessee. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Tell us a little bit about Lewisburg. I know that it is somewhere right between, I think, Nashville and Huntsville. Is that correct? That is correct. We are almost equidistant between Huntsville, Alabama, and Nashville, Tennessee on Interstate 65. So Nashville being the largest city in Tennessee and now Huntsville being the largest city in Alabama, we are what I like to call in the Goldilocks zone between those two metropolitan areas. Fantastic. So what, about an hour from each of them? About an hour from each of them. Okay. That's correct. Um, I like to say I can be at the airport in Nashville or the Wild Horse Saloon in 52 minutes. Oh, fantastic. So how big is Lewisburg? Well, in the county, we're in Marshall County, and we're 35,000 in the county, um, right up under 14,000 in the city of Lewisburg. Okay. Um, so a, a pretty rural community, uh, have been, um, and but we're seeing some growing pains, as I'm sure a lot of people, especially here in the Southeast, can identify. Absolutely. And so you're right there in that, what do they call it, the automotive, Southern Automotive Corridor? Automotive Alley. Automotive Alley. Automotive Alley. Um, I-65 runs from Chicago up there at the Great Lakes all the way down to the port of Mobile, Alabama. And then you have I-75 on the other side of the state. And if you just make an alley out of those, that's been the migration of all the automotive coming out of the Great Lakes region and moving southward. And there we are in the middle of it. Fantastic. So I imagine you have a, a number of industries uh, that's sort of ancillary to the auto industry. Oh, absolutely. Um, we are, that would be our number one sector would be automotive related. Um, we have uh, three uh, Japanese automotive supplier, uh, one Taiwanese automotive supplier, and then a Canadian, but we also have a lot of American automotive suppliers from tier one to tier two, uh, doing everything from windshields and door panels to the actual cockpit inside of a lot of the OEMs. So uh, very tied to automotive, which is a blessing and a curse. Um, you can be too tied to one sector, right? Um, right. And have, I would argue, or I have argued with our locals that maybe we're a little top heavy in the automotive sector. So if you look at our targeted sectors overall, food and beverage is really gaining some steam, and I'm, I'm happy to see that. Uh, plastics and chemicals have been something we've been in. Metalworking, for sure, which is also tied to that automotive sector. And aerospace and defense. We do have Teledyne down here that's doing some very high-tech microelectronic things in the um, aerospace and defense sector. And those are areas I'd like to see grow along with medical device. Uh, I think we're in a region where uh, medical device manufacturing suits us both from our workforce talent and the type of training we offer in this area kind of translates to that. And it would broaden our portfolio as far as targeted industries. Gotcha. So you've been there. I think it's said on LinkedIn that you've been in that position for 13 years. That is correct. Right. So 
Have you seen a change over that time period? Uh, wow, is uh, what a change. So um, I like to jokingly say my job was really easy when I started in 2009. We were in the midst of that uh, recession. So I had a 22% unemployment rate and four empty factories wow. in my industrial park. Uh-huh. So uh, I got up every morning knowing precisely what I was going to do that day, right? Um, now, I didn't think at the time <laughs> the job was so easy, but now that I look today, that's it's why my title started out as industrial recruiter. Okay. And I kind of went to my city manager and said, I'm not a, I don't hate the title, don't get me wrong, but um, I think economic development is what I'm really going to be doing. And it's going to be more than just recruiting that next big factory to come into your community. Now, I will never put down that manufacturing recruitment hat. Uh, it's baked into our DNA, especially here in this community. But um, we have seen now I'm a workforce developer. I am a community developer. Uh, I'm trying to solve the child care issue. Um, I'm looking at the refugee population in Nashville as a potential workforce uh coming into this region. Um, I'm looking at the Hispanic population that's been moving into the walking horse industry and the Tyson food industry here in our area and seeing if we can build something off of that. So if you, if I could talk to my, myself 13 years ago, I would just say, uh, get ready. Uh, you're going to be a constant learner. Um, the world is going to pivot on you pretty, pretty harshly. Uh, just get ready to duck and wave and keep throwing punches. And how did you become an economic developer? Because you were you worked in the newspaper industry first. Uh, that is correct. So um, little family-owned newspaper, um, and I could write, so I could type. And um, I was typing. I was going to be a typesetter for the local newspaper. I, I was really drifting aimlessly, and um, a friend of mine said, hey, you type. You're a writer. Go work at the newspaper. So um, the typesetter forgot to tell them they weren't going to quit. And so the circulation manager was about to move into advertising and she came over and said, why don't I make him circulation manager? And so I got a promotion day one from typesetter to circulation manager. Okay. Uh, ended up being a reporter, ended up being editor of the newspaper. And it was a family run business who makes a lot of money in Lewisburg printing. They make a lot of money on the printing side today. So the newspaper wasn't exactly what they wanted to do. So I helped sell that to uh, one of the major newspaper publishers, Russ Communications, and ultimately uh, got myself out of a job. <laughs> and so uh, I had a relationship with the city of Lewisburg, obviously, as a reporter and editor. And um, the city manager at the time reached out and said, look, we've got a codes enforcement opening, and but we'd really like you to also be our public relations guy because they've never had anyone doing that. And I said, well, I can handle one. I'm going to have to learn about codes. Um, I was probably the worst codes enforcement officer in the history of Lewisburg. Um, but I, I, the public relations side, you know, I, I helped out some there. And my office was next door to the economic developer at the time. And um, I found myself helping him do PowerPoint presentations, um, going to these prospect visits and, and helping him create the slides and move the slides. And, and when he uh, resigned, I, I came in and said, you know, Eddie. Um, the city manager at the time, not exactly the best codes enforcement person, but I think, I think that's what I should be doing. And they, they made me apply. They, they made me go through an interview process. They brought in some other economic developers, but I was fortunate that I got that job mm-hmm. and it's been like a duck to water. Um, uh, the passion I've had for it and it kind of fits 
all my skill sets. If you can't notice, I'm, I, I like to talk. Right. Um, and so that's, that's good for the job, but I could also manipulate technology enough to be dangerous. So being able to combine that with a passion for the local community, it's, it's really been good for us. We've, we've had success. That's phenomenal. So often people are just right place, right time, but this sort of felt like it built on itself and, you know, you worked your way to this position. It, it, it was, uh, uh Again, it, you don't grow up wanting to be an economic developer. Right. Uh, they don't do movies about those folks. Uh, they're not heroes. Um, you don't even know that's a job. Uh, I started, I, I work with kids today, and, I, and that's the first question I ask them, and you should see the looks on their faces. They have no idea what I do. Uh, so I, I didn't know what it was until I saw what he was doing, and I saw the impact that could be made, um, and I saw what it kind of took to, to be a good economic developer, and I just looked in the mirror and said, you know, that's, I think that's you. Um, I think you may have found your thing. So you mentioned some growing pains there in the city. What are the challenges that you have? It's interesting. Born and raised here. So I'm, I'm fully a homer. I'm fully biased. Um, uh, and we've always been rural. We've always been the little brother uh, in the region to not just Nashville, but Franklin's explosion, Murfreesboro's explosion, and now Columbia Murray County experiencing that. So um, people have always been accustomed to being behind the windshield, either for a job or for that dress or for that nice restaurant out. Uh, people have been accustomed to that. Not a lot of housing going up. Well, now we find ourselves in this crush of uh, people moving in from California in Illinois and New York, and they're coming in and they're seeing the prices here and what they're paying, the locals are going, are you kidding me? Did someone really just pay that for that house? And I've got about 4,000 houses in the planning and zoning pipeline as we speak. And so I've got residents going, time out. Um, I do want the restaurant. Uh, I do want the nice downtown, but I'm a little worried about all these rooftops. Um, so we're, we're kind of experiencing a, a bit of schizophrenia there. Uh, I asked, I had a survey not too long ago. What do you like about Lewisburg and Marshall County? And the answers were small town living, low crime rate, uh, no traffic jams. The teachers know my child's name. And I said, what do you want? A mall and a movie theater. And, and I go, you know, one kind of damages the other right, guys. So right. uh, what is it you want to be when you grow up? And so now we're in the midst of that actually kind of happening here. Um, I'm getting retail looks and talking to retail in a way I've never, never experienced. You know, five years ago, retail was uh, sporadic in, in their coming to talk to us. I was really industrial, right? All my projects were industrial. Now I'm seeing that sort of take place, but it's really reliant on that rooftop. And so we've got to look at infrastructure, both roads, water. We're beholden to the Duck River, which is a gorgeous asset, but it's also one of the most biodiverse rivers in the entire world. It's been featured in National Geographic for its level of biodiversity. So you can imagine the environmental folks in the Tennessee Department of Environment are really careful with how much flow sure. they allow to come out of the river. So that's something we've got to watch is I've got some industries that are really putting a lot of water in order to produce the products that they do, not to mention the rooftops and everyone washing their dishes. So infrastructure is certainly a, a big issue we're having to deal with in this crush of, of, of people coming in and, and moving here. So 
it's it's a good and bad problem, but it's a problem nonetheless. Yeah, and it's a problem that so many communities have. Everybody's in a community that seems like you know people like it because it's rural and because it's a small town and. If everybody moves to all the small towns, then they're not the small towns anymore and everything changes. Uh, rural is hip now. Right. And, and and I remember the day when you say, oh, I'm from a rural community. And you kind of said it like you were proud, you know, they said, oh, this where the farmers live, right? Right. And, and then all of a sudden, these this new generation of folks kind of like the five acres and a little little red barn and kind of like the quaint town square where they can ride their bike and uh, have a greenway going around the creek, which we're fortunate enough to have, and a downtown park and this really rural type of living, the slower pace living with access to Nashville and Huntsville, right. uh, Franklin, Murfreesboro. I mean, you've got 25 minutes to Spring Hill, which is a very hugely growing community with a lot of amenities and then an hour to Nashville. So you've got some drive time to get to those amenities, but you can always come back here and then remote work just turned everything around. Um, I've got a, a young lady here, family, her family's been here a long time. She works for Tumblr, um, had been living in Manhattan, but she has a family farm in Petersburg, Tennessee. And so she spends six months of the year in Manhattan and six months of the year to her family farm working remotely for Tumblr. And I go, gosh, can I clone you? I'd, I'd like to put you on a card and and make you my marketing campaign, right. Right? right? Because that's the type of individual we can have here and show them the quality of life that I think they want and I think they want. Um, but they can work from Google in San Francisco, for crying out loud. They can work from anywhere and enjoy this kind of small town living that, again, completely biased. I grew up in the country. Um it's a traffic jam to me at three o'clock on the bypass uh, out by Walmart. You know, that's more traffic than I care. So I'm completely biased in my Gen X self uh, <laughs> here in, in this rural community. But uh, I, I think we have something to offer to those groups and we're being found. We're being found. Fantastic. And you mentioned childcare and a lot of communities are having childcare issues. Have you come up with a solution that we can share with everybody Boy, I, 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 if I did, I'd make you pay for it. Right, you know, exactly. Um, I, you know, I had, t t I did a great thing with TVA. We're blessed to be in the TVA region, the Tennessee Valley Authority, and they do some fantastic things in economic development, especially for rural. And one of them was the Innovation Academy, and we were there with Oxford, Mississippi, and Bowling Green, Kentucky, and Memphis, and here's Little Old Lewisburg, and we're going through this program together where we look for problems. And my problems at the time was small business and entrepreneurship, which is still a problem. But in the midst of going through the data, my opportunity zone, this number just jumped out at me. 88% of the women with school-aged children in my opportunity zone were unemployed. Well, that's a stat that jumps off your page. Right. And we weren't thinking about child care pre-COVID. No. And so um, I started looking at that. I did a survey in the area, and I think I knew the answer, and but it was confirmed Childcare availability was first, affordability was right there with it, and then transportation was a distant third. I went, oh my gosh, we don't have enough childcare. We're keeping women out of our workforce because they can't either find or afford childcare. And so I started putting that on our radar, and we were fortunate enough to get a half million dollar grant from the state of Tennessee to help one of our facilities double its capacity, essentially. Mm -hmm. 
we actually toyed with the idea of doing uh, taking one of our National Guard armories that's one mile from my industrial park and making that a co-op childcare where Teledyne would do custodial work mm-hmm. for the childcare facility and they would get five or six free or discounted spots. Sure. And we were really working down that path and we weren't able to pull it off because just bringing that armory back to life exceeded our financial expectations. So I, I do know there's a, a I think it's Clifton, Tennessee has that and they're working, or maybe Clinton, Clinton, Tennessee is working on doing that exact thing, uh, turning their armory into a child care center. The thing I'm excited about is working with the Tennessee Department of Human Services. They offer, and no, I didn't know this, but they offer sort of a training uh, orientation program for anyone who wants to be an in-home provider. So I looked at the, I said, okay, I've got about 1,200, let's be fair, mothers that are being kept out of work because they're staying home with the children. What if we turned a percentage of those into a small business running their own in-home child care center? They could keep an extra five kids. That frees up uh, five women right. to, who can now afford uh, Sarah. She may act can afford the child care facility, but if Sarah is keeping her child with four or five other kids in her own, she can afford that monthly payment mm-hmm. and go to work in my industrial park. So they offered this program. We marketed it. Uh, I'm shooting for 20. So far I have 10, but I've had 10 women go through the orientation program uh, and receive a little bit of money to, to bring their house up to code and become their own small business as in-home providers offering affordable child care for that, that folks uh, uh, who can work in my industrial park for that $15, $16, $17 an hour job. Now the numbers work for her. Wow. And she can get back into the workforce. And she feels a lot better that Sarah, who lives in her neighborhood or nearby her neighborhood, is keeping her child. She can call her at any time. There's only four or five other children in that mm-hmm. house with them. I like that model um, because of the affordability aspect that it also brings to it. And if transportation is an issue, so much easier to go somewhere in your neighborhood and drop a kid off and then get to work than to have to stay in that line at the childcare facility, which is much like a school, and drop your kid off there and make sure you made it by 8 a.m. or whenever your workday starts. So I, I really like that model, and uh, I'm shooting for 20. If I get 20 who keep five children, that's a 100-kid daycare. Right, exactly. It's a new daycare center. Right, yeah. and that's 20 new small businesses in your community. And it's 20 new small businesses in my community. And who has the greatest spending power? Your female population has the greatest spending power. So who better to empower in those two ways than those 1,200 mothers who have been kept from my workforce because of availability and affordability? Let's open that up and watch the magic happen. That's a good idea. I hadn't thought of that, but that ticks all the boxes. So that's good. It does. And it snuck up on us, right? And it, it's, I, I try to look at the silver linings of COVID. I think that may have been one of the silver linings. It opened our eyes to an issue that was sitting there. That issue was there pre-COVID. We just, nobody was paying attention to it. It got no news media. Um, The data wasn't there. But when I did that TVA Innovation Academy and saw that data set, well, 88% unemployment jumps out at you. Right. You got to pay attention to that, right? And then digging deeper, finding out what the issues were. If we can make some of those solutions along there, if I can get a quarter or a third of that 1,200, not estimating 1200 based on the population of my opportunities on, but give me a quarter of that. And I've all but solved my labor shortage in my industrial park. Oh, wow. 
By the numbers. Right, by the numbers. You're right. That is good. I think a lot of communities will be very interested to hear this strategy because everybody has the same challenge and nobody knew this was a challenge. Like you said, pre-COVID, it just sort of popped up. But you see it as an opportunity and there might be a way out. There are some other folks now that this has become an issue that's now getting some attention. So there are some people doing some great innovative things, not only in my state here in Tennessee, but uh, like you, well, thanks to you, I get to keep up with what's going on around the country in economic development, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I see I see this uh, being one of the major solutions in, in getting a, a workforce back up to snuff. And that's it's bringing those people being held back by barriers like childcare, barriers like transportation. Um, we focus so much on skills Certainly we should, and and skills are always an issue, but there are things beyond skills that are keeping people out of the workforce and that upward mobility we're trying to create. What an interesting career you've had, going from industrial recruiter to this entrepreneurial daycare development sort of thing. And this is what's so interesting about this profession is that, like you, we started as industrial recruiters, and now there's all these other pieces. And it's interesting because... You don't think from the outside, looking at the situation, you think, okay, we need jobs in a community. So you move industry into that community and that's it. But no, there's so many other pieces. Uh, Absolutely. And I'm glad you said the word entrepreneurship. So um, I don't think we could spell that five years ago. And, And now I'm trying to create a small business and entrepreneurial center on the square. We have a city owned building. Um, I'm going to partner with some groups that are doing that, and we're going to create a small business and entrepreneurial center with co-working space. I'm blessed to have the Middle Tennessee State University 40 minutes to my uh, north and UT, the University of Tennessee Southern Campus, 30 minutes to my south. And I have two Tennessee Colleges of Applied Technology 30 minutes away and a Columbia State Community College satellite campus in my community. Blessed. So all those people can bring their resources into this entrepreneurial center, interact with these entrepreneurs who are hidden, right. by the way, they're hidden out there. Uh, they're living on that five acres in a, in, in a little red barn, and the, but they're working remotely and they're working in their silo and they're thinking, I do love this rural aspect, but boy, I wish I had another person struggling like me. Right, that I could talk and to. They yeah. do, they just don't know it. Interesting. So what I'm going to do is bring them together, put them in this room, lock the door on them and let the magic happen. Right. right? And and just provide them with these resources that we're blessed to have around them and watch my square come back to life. You know, uh, we have a beautiful downtown square, but it has, it needs some TLC. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some buildings that need it. They're empty. Um, I actually uh, sold men's clothes in a men's clothing store during high school. And we, we dressed the mannequins every Saturday because there was so much foot traffic, right? Well, then they built this bypass to Walmart and that sucking sound you heard was all those little small businesses being pulled out of that beautiful little downtown area. Well, now it's organically trying to start back to life. We've got some real good entrepreneurs who bought some space and are doing some fabulous things, but they did it on their own. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest, we were very little help to those people. Um, we were supportive and we were encouraging, uh, but we didn't have any money um, and we really didn't have any expertise. So we're changing that. We're going to be uh, real entrepreneurial focused moving forward. And pretty much everything we're doing, we're going to have that entrepreneurial mindset because I, I think that's where things are going. And I would argue the same is true for my manufacturing sector. Uh, we're going to have to look at that from an entrepreneurial standpoint. How do they maintain their workforce? What's more important, job creation or capital investment? 
Uh, my, my analogy today is when I started, jobs were the ice cream, capital investment was the whipped cream, and the wages were the cherry on top. Today, I would say wages are the ice cream. You're really chasing those wages. Capital investment remains whipped cream, very important, very delicious, but now jobs are that cherry on top. The number of jobs is that cherry on top, not, not dismissing them. Mm-hmm. But uh, if I'm 300 people short in my industrial park today, what's adding 200 jobs doing to that? Right, exactly. Yeah, what does that do if you're out there chasing those jobs and you can't even fill the ones you have? Interesting. It's a, it's a, it's a conundrum. And for economic developers, I mean, there are people that go, well, our scorecard is job creation and capital investment. It has and always will be. And I completely get that. I am not pushing back or away from that. I'm just saying it's a little more nuanced and layered today. Right. right. So I, 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 it, it isn't so easily black and white in a little box. I think job creation and capital investment have their boxes, but you open up that Excel spreadsheet and you got to add some more sales. Sure. And those sales are automation of VR and AI. What's coming there? Um, I used to be scared to death that the robots were going to take my jobs away from my factory. Uh Now, give me a robot, take those 10 people, turn them into one. I'll find jobs for those other nine, right? They'll either get assimilated into that company already, or they'll find a job next door pretty, pretty quickly, or we'll teach them how to be small business and entrepreneurs and grow, grow our base that way. So we can provide uh, uh, upward mobility assessments for those nine people getting roboted out of a job, right? We'll be able to pull that off. So I'm not scared of that anymore. I'm actually kind of welcoming it because that's capital investment. Right. Uh, in right. My that's, that's true. Those, it is those capital are machines. investment. Yeah. Right. And, and by and large, they're not cheap. No. So that's, that's pretty big investment those folks are making. And, you know, we had the big blue oval city announcement in Memphis, outside of Memphis right. here in Tennessee, just a big, big project for our state. But our state has done, you know, very well over the last decade in, in industry. And what we're seeing is this changeover into electric vehicles. Um, we're heavy automotive across the state, to be honest, uh, with pockets of other things scattered about. But this change to EV, um, our manufacturers are already going there. Ford is going to make that type of investment and in GM to follow on 30 minutes from the GM plant. At Nissan, I'm an hour away from that plant. Uh, Volkswagen, I'm an hour and a half from that plant. Um, if they're going to make those large investments in EV, I think the rest of us need to pay attention to that and follow suit and start training our folks. I go into the schools in third grade and, and, and talk to my kids or I bring in my industries, my employers, and we start talking to them in the third grade. And a lot of people go, eh. but my mother taught fifth grade for 37 years, and she said retention really begins in third grade. So start planting your seeds there, and you'll talk to them again in the fourth grade, and you'll talk to them again in the fifth grade, and you'll talk to them again in the sixth grade. And by, this, by the time you get them in middle school, they know Teledyne. They know Morelli. Mm-hmm. They know Walker Die. They may not know everything, but hey, I remember you. Right. You came last year and talked to us. So now we're in middle school, and we're going, all right, we have careers here. If you're really interested... Let's have a real conversation. I want to follow you throughout your high school career. We're creating a high school employment service and what I like to call a Marshall Works Well. Um, and it's going to be where human resources from my manufacturing sector are going to find those kids in middle school who have a real interest in what they were talking about. Like uh, some kid who likes to take the lawnmower apart with his dad. If you have an interest in that, we have a career for you. So 
we're going to interact with you throughout your high school career. And we're going to send a letter home to your mom and dad and that says, hi, your, your kid is a Morelli kid now, which means my human resources are going to come into the high school when they're freshmen, have lunch with them once a month in the cafeteria, uh, send them a text to find out how they're doing now and again, give them a swag bag with a t-shirt, uh, give them job shadowing opportunities, weekend internships, after school jobs. We're going to interact with your child throughout their senior year, but when they get their end of junior year, we're going to have a real frank conversation with them about what does after high school look for you? Are you going to the University of Tennessee? Are you going to the Tennessee College of Applied Technology? Um, are you just going to walk off the stage with that diploma and into my HR department? Um, what are you planning on doing? And whatever that is, we're going to assist you. Keep in mind, we've put this time, we've invested in time in you because we want you to come work for us. Right. And uh, I don't know if there's going to be ROI at the end of that rainbow, but I think it's, um, I think it's worth trying. And, and I've got three industries. My, my three largest industries are on board. So did they come up with this idea or how did that come together? Well, uh, we have junior leadership Marshall. I think everybody has this. And about eight years ago, I was doing my dog and pony show for junior leadership Marshall. And I asked the question, how many of you are going to be engineers? And about four or five hands go up and they're going to go to Tennessee Tech, mm -hmm. maybe the University of Alabama, Huntsville, a couple of Georgia Techs, but mostly Tennessee Tech. And I said, how many are you going to come back here and be engineers? And they all looked at me like I had three heads. Right. And I, I, okay. and I, I, I went, okay, you do know their engineering job. And they go, no. And I said, okay, that's my fault that you didn't know that. Um, that's my company who hires engineers fault. They should have told you that. Right. How come that's not happening? I said, oh, well. Because we're not interacting with the schools, but my employers aren't telling their story. They aren't marketing themselves to a population that's their next workforce. Um, we all hear about our young people leaving us. Um, and, and yeah, uh, people have been leaving rural communities since there've been rural communities. That's what young people do. Right. Um, but they go out and they get educated, they get experienced and they get a spouse. And sometimes they boomerang back in that 32 to 38 range, we all of a sudden see them back here. Well, what if we didn't let them escape to begin with? What if you showed that kid who's a junior or a senior who really has no idea? They have no idea. I look at my high school self and I go, I, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up today. Are you right. going to ask me as a junior what my career path is? So uh, I, I come up with the idea and talk to my mom who was in education for a long time. And I said, you know, is this silly? She goes, no, third grade, start them in third grade. And, but you have to tell them every year because we've all had children. Right. You can't right. tell them once a year. Right. Right. You can't go to them once a year and expect them four years later to remember you. So we talked to them every year and, and I had about 14 manufacturers in my Tennessee College of Applied Technology come in and do their presentations starting in the third grade all the way up to middle school. And then we have... Uh, high school kids, every freshman tours a factory, every sophomore tours one, and every junior tours one. And then we have a job fair for seniors their senior year. So no kid ever graduates from one of our high schools having not toured a minimum of three of our companies and gone inside their facility. So no more will they, when I ask the question, um, how many are going to come back here and be engineers? They're going to go, there are no engineering jobs here. And they're going, no, you remember when we went to Teledyne? Right. I really like Teledyne, so uh, I'm going to go to tech, and I've already talked to the person at Teledyne, and they're going to help me, and when I come back, I'll be an engineer for them. So I'm not letting any more kids escape right. without knowing precisely what kind of career and how much money they can make and still enjoy their lifestyle here in Marshall County. That, that is and, fascinating. And it's, it's, wow. It's 
Wow, that is that is great. I'm going to steal that idea. And I hope that all I of our it. communities steal that it. are listening, they steal that idea because that's phenomenal. Well, I'll, I'll add one more component. So I started the Economic Development Growth Engine Club in my main high school here in Lewisburg among the junior class. And uh, this came out of a meeting with our NAACP chapter. They brought three seniors that day. And during, over the course of the conversation, one of them said, you know, there are no clubs or groups that look like us. And I said, okay, uh, uh, let's talk. What's going on? And, and so they said, you know, what if we had something there? And I said, I tell you what, I will create a club where we target um, a, a demographic of kids that either don't think their voices are heard. Uh, they don't believe they should participate. Uh, they still left out of the conversation. Let's target those kids as juniors. I called it the Economic Development Growth Engine Club, the Edge Club. Mm -hmm. you know, I've got to give it an acronym. And what, what we do is we get with these kids probably around, I got 15 this year. I had 18 last year. Um, and I take them to a small business owner who started from scratch. And he or she tells the story of how they started a small business in Lewisburg and Marshall County. Then I take them obviously to one of our main manufacturers. I take them to a bank to talk about careers and financing. I'll take them to our Marshall Medical Center. They talk about careers in healthcare because we're big in healthcare, being in Nashville's doorstep. Um, then we take them to uh, a law firm who's also chairman of my young professionals group. And we ask them, you know, if what are you thinking career-wise? And my young professionals will find a mentor for them in that field. And they'll go and have coffee one day and talk about law enforcement or physical therapy or whatever they're thinking so they can get a good true spirit, about, a true idea about what it is. What I liked about that was some of these kids had never set foot in the bank mm -hmm. on the bypass. Uh, they, they didn't know. Some of them knew the factories existed because their parents worked there. Sure. You know, that's all they knew about it. But they, they'd never heard the small business story. They were still under the assumption that you had to have a lot of money to start your own small business and you'd start it for six months and then you go home and let somebody run it and just collect the money. Um, you know, they had those ideas about that. So I, we're opening eyes to this demographic that uh, had been telling us over the years they have no post-secondary plan. Uh, we have about 35% of our kids telling us every year they don't know what they're going to do when they, they leave high school. And I go to my employers and go, guys, look at this demographic. There's your next, That's about 300 kids a year that are telling you they don't know what they're going to do after high school. Why don't you tell them? Why don't you give them an idea about what they can do? Um, get them into your factory starting. Yes, they're going to start at that base level job. Uh, it's not going to be fun. It's not going to pay a whole lot. But you'll get them there and say, you see what Jimmy's doing over there? If you want to do that, you let me know. And three or four years from now, you'll be doing what Jimmy's doing. And you'll be making what Jimmy's making. Um, I just need you to get in here and get trained. So it, I think it's a long-term answer. I get a lot of pushback from my employers. Greg, that's great, you know, but um, I need short-term. I need them today. Right. And I said, I understand. But I said, if you're not playing the long game, if you're not invest investing in that long game, we need to be in the schools all the time. And, and as much as you can be, handing out swag, telling your company story, showing what kind of culture you've created there, because, you know, that's key today is company culture especially with these younger groups. If you're not in there doing that, you're letting 300 kids walk away every year. And what would 300 kids a year do to my workforce? Quality right. and availability. Right. It would Almost solve the issue. Solve the itself. whole thing. Wow, this has been phenomenal. 
So do you think maybe, because all of this sort of flows around this idea of telling a story. The, in, the industry needs to tell their story and the small business needs to tell their story. And do you feel like you come to this as kind of a storyteller? Like, does that, did you bring that to that element to the whole thing? Yeah, I, I, I like to say I really have only one superpower and that's my big mouth. Sure. And so I, I don't have a problem, obviously speaking. Uh, I can get on stage and do that. And part of that is being able to tell a story. And so in economic development, we get trained on telling our story, right? We go to all these seminars right. and webinars and, uh, and, and that's good for us. Uh, manufacturers, not so much, but they're figuring it out. Uh, they've had to. So I see some, I got a, a marketing director for one of my main companies here, Talos Engineer Products, who's my daughter's age, who's still at the University of Tennessee, but she's my daughter's age and she's their marketing director and she's telling their story. And she's doing it with graphics and she's doing it on social media. And that's one of the few industries that are not beating down my door every day going, I can't find people because um, they're creating this culture and this buzz. So, yeah, I, I kind of see myself as um, I was quarterback in high school. So I'll use this analogy. My apologies to everybody. But I, I'm kind of QBing this thing, right? So um, I will help you tell your story. I will give you some outlets, all these social media outlets to help you tell your story. I will connect you to the audiences like our school ch age children to be able to tell your story, but I can't tell your story. So uh, you tell your story, I'll help you with that, and then I'll help connect you with the audience that need to hear it. And it's the same for our small businesses, um, our entrepreneurs who are kind of hiding out there. Uh, you are telling my story for me. I just have to bring all that story together and put it in a package that's good. And um, I'm, again, I, I know enough on social media to be dangerous and my Canva, things I make on Canva, thank God for something like that because I do not have that gene, whatever it is to make stuff look pretty. Uh -huh. um, I don't have that. So I, I've got young people in Canva that, that helps me uh, create pretty little stuff and going into video. But I, I see myself as the curator of all those stories and the curation of all those stories is in fact, my story is my community. So if I can curate that and put it out in a package that's pleasing, um, on the budget that I am given, then, then I'm, I'm doing something special there. And, and that's where we are today in this evolution that just continues it. This is a job that'll never be finished. Um, you know, it's, it'll never be finished. And to some that can be discouraged mm -hmm. and don't get me wrong. I have my days, but, um, most of the time, if you keep looking out and forward and going, you know, remember what we looked like five years ago, look at us now. What a change. Uh, I can't even fathom what the next five years brings for us. So let's, let's go at it with that mindset and bring all these tools to bear. Greg, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and explaining all of this and giving your perspective. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you, what is the best way for them to contact you? Uh, my email, uh, greg.low at lewisburgtn.gov. You could also go to lewisburgtn.in and that's, that's one of my onboarding websites okay. or makeitinmarshall.com. Um, you can reach me through any of those outlets, find out who we are, what we are, but uh, email me directly. What I'm still, again, I'm Gen Xer, so I'm in the email space, but I can text, um, uh, any of that. So yeah, I, and I love working with other economic developers. We just came from our governor's conference, uh, yesterday and, and Monday, um, in the state of Tennessee. And I'm, I'm really proud to say we, we all know we're competing with one another, 
but we steal each other's ideas with glee every day and and interact with one another every day. I really brag on my Southern Middle Tennessee folks. I got 13 counties in my region and we get along famously and we share this stuff. Um, there's a guy from the Upper Cumberland. I'm trying to get him into VR. So I'm going into virtual reality now. I'm, I want to get headsets into my high school, my jail, and my library to do workforce development for the kids, uh, the incarcerated, and anyone who doesn't have access who can go to our library. Put on this headset. They can train in welding. They can drive a forklift. They can do CNC machining in this headset where they don't get injured. They don't hurt someone else. They don't destroy property or your product. And they can train themselves for when they're ready to go into IRL uh, in real life. <laughs> when they're ready to do that, yeah, they can go to the factory, and the factory says, "Hey, this guy's pretty trained." I'm just—they're just now having to take off the goggles and do it in real life. So, it's—it's it's a different world, Dan. Different, it's, yes, yeah. it is. All there from rural Tennessee, huh? That's—it's just I, amazing. Well, who to thunk it? Right, exactly. Who to thunk it? Well, good. Hey, thank you so much. This has been awesome. Hey, I, I appreciate you letting me do this, and I appreciate what you do at the Econ Dev Show. I, I love it coming in my inbox. It's a wealth of information. You've been listening to the Econ Dev Show with Dane Carlson. If you're an economic developer who never stops learning, for more expert strategies, fresh insights, and new ideas to take your career, organization, and your community to the next level, visit us on the web at econdevshow.com.